0: Good morning, and welcome back to the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast, where I interview the coffee professionals of the West Coast and try to help us all get a little bit coffee smarter in the process. I'm the host of this show, Ryan Wolt, and I try to get coffee smarter by asking coffee experts coffee questions. This week, Chris O'Brien of Coffee Cycle Roasting is back, and he and I are going to start with the topic of milk in coffee. We're going to veer into latte art, the mechanicals of a piston-driven espresso machine, alternative milk drinks, and even capuchin monks. If it hasn't been obvious from previous episodes or this is your first time listening to the Roast West Coast Coffee podcast, I want to clarify that for the first year of Chris's coffee shop, Coffee Cycle, it wasn't yet a roastery, I worked there as a barista trying to immerse myself in the world of coffee. I had asked him if he would teach me the ins and outs of coffee, and he responded by giving me a job one day a week, which turned into several days a week, which led to a lot of really interesting and sometimes weird conversations around coffee. It's why this show exists. So if you're wondering how we get from one topic to a seemingly completely unrelated one, it is because of the hours spent standing two feet from each other behind the coffee bar, which gave us the freedom to let conversations wander. I was never a great barista, and I never will be, but those mornings brought me to here, Roast West Coast, where I get to keep learning about coffee and sharing that knowledge with you. If you've been enjoying these shows, I'd appreciate it if you would give this show a rating and review wherever you are listening, or better yet, tell a friend to listen. We appreciate the word-of-mouth growth this show has seen. I'm drinking a Coffee Cycle Roasting Guatemala coffee this morning. It is the new house roast at Chris's shop, and it is proving to be a great every-morning coffee. Right now, you should fill your coffee mug and make sure your headphones are charged and the Bluetooth is connected, because it is time for the show. So, Brian, I see you uh, cleaning your glasses over there. It means you're here on the show. I should tell you, I just got glasses of my own. I have acknowledged that I am aging <laughs> and my eyes are getting older and I need glasses to say drive at night, which happens once or twice a year. But now that you're back on the Roast West Coast podcast for another episode of Coffee Smarter, I want to ask you about everyone's favorite topic, which is milk. Mm. Mew. <laughs> and I'm going to ask you to hang on one second because apparently my computer is not plugged in and I got to plug it in.
1: I think it was the cow. Mew. 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 Mew.
0: <laughs> I have those moos on, on uh record, so I'm using them.
1: Can we just record a whole, a whole episode of me mooing? I, actually, I want us mooing. I want to moo together. Will you moo with me? Moo. Moo.
0: So you
1: are clearly from Wisconsin, my friend.
0: I may have mooed at the sunset with a cow you know, every now and again. <laughs> uh, but let's get back to it. Milk. People put milk in their coffee. Sometimes they put regular milk. Sometimes they put whole milk. Sometimes they put almond milk, cashew milk, soy milk. There's a gajillion different milks. I think for a while, it was kind of like a joke of like how many alternative milks there were macadamia milk. So I want to ask you, what's your opinion? Why do, one, why do we put milk into our coffees? Why do we do that? And two, alternative milks, your opinions on them. I'm going to kind of let you take the floor and run with it however you want. The topic is milk. Cool.
1: Cool. No, I couldn't, I can <laughs> I, I, I tried, right? Um, so... Yeah, I've mentioned a couple times on the podcast before how when we add cream and sugar to coffee, we get this sort of coffee ice cream effect is, is how I like to describe it. And I'm totally stealing that a little bit from my my, my good friend, Brant Rakowski, who's the head roaster at Nostalgia Coffee. He's the first person that put it to me that way, and it really encapsulates kind of how I feel about, about milk and sugar and coffee.
0: That's a nice little uh, teaser because if anyone's listening, nostalgia is going to be on the show later this year. Uh, the Taylor from Nostalgia Coffee.
1: Yeah, I mean, and they're a great roaster, and uh, and Taylor and Brandt are both great, awesome coffee people. So you know you should have them on the show, and I sort of assume that you would. But uh, chemically, I'm not super well versed on exactly the composition of milk and what happens to it when you steam, but we do know a few things which is that the combination of the sh- naturally occurring sugars lactose anything that ends in ose is a sugar generally uh lactose the sweetness of lactose uh the protein that's in the milk and the fats that are in the milk all help kind of create this this effect um, when we add it to coffee that, that tends to pair pretty well with the coffee and I don't know historically when we started adding milk to coffee. I'm not, not really sure about that. I know a few things about the origin of cappuccinos and the fact that adding milk to this sort of, it wasn't quite the same as espresso is now, um, but this concentrated coffee beverage that they were kind of calling espresso back then, I think in Austria, they added the milk to the coffee and it made it look this kind of tan brown color. And there was a, garment worn by some I think it was monks that was capuchin I don't know how to say the word it's c-a-p-u-c-h-i-n but basically adding the milk to the coffee made it look the same color as these robes and so that's where the name cappuccino comes from is from this kind of color effect of adding milk to coffee
0: that's serious that's like a real thing you just told me real
1: thing that's a real thing. I'm, I'm pretty certain. I mean, I, I don't have like a reference that you can look up to verify that, but I'm, I'm pretty certain of that. I mean, one of the interesting things about coffee in general is that a lot of this knowledge kind of gets passed down person to person, or you read it somewhere, and there's not a whole lot of like really well-concentrated, authoritative coffee texts. Um, there are plenty of texts out there, and some of them are wrong. <laughs> and so... It can be kind of difficult to verify a lot of that.
0: It kind of speaks to just the length of time coffee has been around. The history of coffee is so much longer than that of a lot of other beverages, a lot of other drinks, right? Yeah, absolutely. I'm still trying to imagine kind of that first person who was like making a bitter cup of coffee, you know, while shepherding their sheep and thought, you know what, I'm going to put some of this liquid that comes out of the sheep into this cup of coffee.
1: And maybe that's that's what did it. So I guess the furthest back that I can go in terms of adding milk to coffee is this, I think it was in Austria, this capuchin monk thing with the color of the robes and the color of the coffee plus milk. But so let's just accept it as a given that, that people like this. It has to do with the chemical composition of the milk, but people like it. And it's they liked it enough that it became this whole thing with steaming the milk in these pressurized espresso machines and adding it to this super concentra- concentrated pressurized coffee and that's really been around for i think 80 to 100 years something like that i think the uh piston driven espresso machine is, is like uh, i think it's 30s 40s type of thing
0: that's actually younger than i kind of imagined in my head i'm not sure why but
1: yeah I, I actually would have to check on that i know there's a couple a couple things that are coming out these days uh giving like histories of espresso machines and and, um, and background on that and as your coffee expert on Coffee Dumber this week um, oh, and last week, uh, I, I do have to admit you know, some gaps in my knowledge. Um, perhaps I could have done some research knowing the, uh, the topics today, but regardless, we know that we steam the milk and we add it to the espresso, and that's very popular, the milks uh, for lattes, for cappuccinos. When you steam the milk, some really cool things happen. You're injecting air into the milk, which creates that foam, and you're warming the milk at the same time. We've been doing this with with cow dairy milk for a long time that's the origins of it and so a lot of what we do is based on that and now there's this whole industry of alternative milks that are coming up to accommodate people that can't drink lactose or that even just prefer not to drink lactose for ethical or whatever reasons taste reasons and so that's been really interesting and as a barista that's been Working in coffee since I was 16, so almost over 20 years now. You know, I've seen it sort of change from when it was just milk and a minority of people drinking soy, to then we added almond milk, and now the big one is oat milk. But there's a ton of other non-dairy options out there, like you mentioned earlier. Um, there's even some very popular ones that that aren't aren't even a specific. One thing they're they're just non dairy milk and a lot of them are based around pea protein because you do have to have a certain balance between fats proteins and sugars to get the right effect if you want to foam it and steam it and have it and have it come out well especially if you want to do something like latte art
0: does it do, I was going to ask then does it make it more difficult to create latte art or to work with with the steam wand because I'm assuming that decades of of um, experimenting was all based around this idea of milk and then almost overnight you were expected to create the same sort of frothiness in the milk or creaminess in the milk or or whatever with all of these other different chemical comp you know breakdowns i mean they're they're all milk in you know in name to some extent but they may not react the same
1: well Ryan, first of all, I want to say that I was very nice to you on the last podcast episode. It's true. And so you worked as a barista for a year, and your total inability to form any latte art on any beverage does mean that you do need to ask this question to me now.
0: Not being able to and not being allowed to are two different things. (laughs) I just want to make that clear.
1: You know, I think if you were to interview my staff, which you're probably forbidden from doing, but if you were, I think that they might have a slightly different idea on exactly how uh, strict I am. On, uh, well, you know, parents are always
0: strictest with their first, Chris.
1: <laughs> oh, aren't you older than me. It doesn't matter. Anyway. So <laughs> So the answer is to, to the basic um, question that you're proposing there is that, yes, dairy alternatives are often and usually harder to steam well than regular dairy milk. And some dairy milks are harder to steam than others. Non-fat milk, when you've skimmed all the fat off the top of the milk and it's, it's got 0% milk fat, is very hard to foam well and does not create it does not hold its foam well enough to create good latte art. It's possible to create okay latte art, but you're never going to have as as quick and easy results as with a whole milk or even a 1% or a 2%.
0: Does that matter for the taste to them? Or is the latte art just kind of like this fun thing that we've decided that we like to do?
1: You know, that is a really, really interesting topic that I'm very excited to talk to you about in just a Just another minute or two. I want to talk a little bit more about some of these other alternative milks and how they affect it. Because Latte Art, well, I'll touch on it quickly first now, which is that Latte Art does not necessarily make your beverage taste better. Sneak preview, it actually makes your drink taste worse. That's what I want to talk to you about later. But having Latte Art on your drink is a sign that the barista did a good job steaming the milk. Because only with well-formed microfoam can you pour latte art. The fact that the art actually has an effect on the taste of the drink, that's something that not a lot of people like to talk about because it sort of sucks that it makes the drink taste worse. It's pretty minor. But there are definitely a lot of non-dairy milks that don't form a good enough foam, a good enough microfoam to make good latte art with. And therefore, it can be sort of looked at as if you're barista has not done a good enough job with your drink. So, you know, back when I was first a barista, it was just soy milk was the only option. And soy milk does not steam very well. As time went on, people developed more and more different soy milk options so that there were ones that were barista specific and had been crafted to foam and steam better. Then almond milk came on and the sort of a similar progression happened with almond milk because Almond milk also doesn't steam that well. There might be some baristas that are listening to this podcast that are like, well, I love how my almond milk steams well. When we first had almond milk in cafes, none of them steamed well. And that's 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 a newer thing that some of them steam well. And generally speaking, I think most baristas will admit that that even the best almond milk still doesn't steam quite as well as a nice regular whole milk. The really popular option right now is oat milk. And oat milk made from oats does actually steam and foam really well and it makes great foam and you can do great latte art with it. There are a couple other options that also foam really well. Um, Our cashew milk that we make foams incredibly well. I don't know why. I, I mean, I know that it has to do with that balance of proteins, fats, and sugars, but I didn't expect that when we started making it we were making it for taste, and then the fact that it foamed really well was was kind of a, oh, wow, cool. And it's it's a nice thing because you can mix a really well-foaming non-dairy milk with another non-dairy milk that doesn't foam as well and get some pretty good results. So if you have non-fat dairy milk with you and you have a little splash of whole milk, you can make that non-fat milk foam much better by the addition of a tiny little bit of whole milk it just needs a little bit of that fat to help it so if you mix our cashew milk with our almond milk suddenly you get some milk that foams really well so if you mix oat milk with a macadamia milk you'll get something that foams really well and so there are certain combinations that foam better or worse the problem is is that they don't always taste that good so Trying to find one that both tastes good and foams well for non-dairy milks is a bit of a struggle for some people. And so people tend to have brands of non-dairy milk that they really like because of the, it fits for them that balance of well-foaming versus well-tasting. That all being said.
0: Yeah, we need to get back to the whole makes it taste worse because nothing you've said makes sense to me in that. If, if having latte art means you've had better, properly blended milk, how can that make the taste worse.
1: So this comes back to espresso chemistry. Espresso is brewed with pressure, and that means that the naturally occurring oils and fats in espresso get emulsified and create a thin layer of foam on the top of the espresso. It's called the crema. We've talked about it before. The best tasting part of espresso is the naturally occurring sugars, which are a big, heavy molecule that tends to sink toward the bottom a bit. And because that top layer is all emulsified oils, there's zero sugars, zero naturally occurring sugars present in that. And when you're doing latte art, there, latte art competitions are judged based on three categories, contrast, symmetry, and complexity. Sometimes they judge based on creativity as well, depending on what latte art competition you're in, but generally it's, it's those three things. And contrast is really important. And so you're contrasting pretty much white milk with a dark beverage. And the dark beverage is the espresso. And so when you're getting good latte art, you're going to have a ring of dark with your white latte art in the center. And the better the latte art, the clearer the definition between that dark ring and that white foam. Well, that dark ring is pretty much only comprised of the crema of the espresso and none of the rest of the espresso. It tends to float to the top. It's going to mix with the milk and the fats in the milk. And all the sweeter stuff tends to be below that top layer of foam. Now, well-foamed milk, well-poured drinks are fairly well integrated. But that being said, that outer ring is still actually going to have a little bit more bitterness than sweetness.
0: So just to clarify, like the issue isn't that it wasn't properly made or properly pulled espresso the issue is that the flavors in a great espresso are blended together equally so you're getting that same flavor throughout and mm-hmm. the mere the the process of adding the latte art it creates a separation between some of those flavors
1: correct so there was there was this this all came out a couple of years ago i forget who did it it might have been this australian barista champion guy matt perger but Somebody basically did a blind taste test on a bunch of well-made and poorly made drinks. So they basically, they foamed, if you make a drink, you pour latte art on it. You make two drinks side by side. You pour latte art on both of them. They're both perfectly made drinks. Then you take one of the drinks and you stir up the top so that you eliminate the latte art that was poured there. And someone blindfolded drinks both of them they're always going to like, or almost always going to like the one that was stirred up more better because you've reintegrated it properly. So your latte art actually makes your drink taste worse. Sorry.
0: Well, that's a bummer, (laughs) but I think it comes back, you know, it, it goes something to be said for for the consistency of coffee and for the consistency of these products and how difficult it might have been. I feel like you kind of mentioned a progression just earlier. I just want to touch on this uh, before the end of the show today, which is for a long time, it was milk and then soy milk was the alternative. And you had time to kind of work and figure that out. And then almond milk came along and kind of had its day. But all of these other non-dairy alternatives have come along fairly quickly. So you were adapting your your skill sets kind of on the fly. If you decided we want to offer this to our customers, whether it was macadamia or cashew or almond or whatever. And I would just like to say for anyone listening, when you spend $6 on a thing of oat milk, oat milk is water and oats. It's oatmeal blended filtered. That's just my opinion.
1: Yeah. And it (laughs) is cereal,
0: (laughs) (laughs) but It works. Uh, I actually use oat milk at home and make oat milk at home, which is exciting. (laughs) But I don't buy it for $8 or $10 a carton.
1: I make it. You make it? Nice. Yeah. You soak them overnight?
0: Meh. Sometimes. Nice. It depends on how lazy I am. Uh, The one thing I will say to anyone listening about making your own milk, whether it's a nut milk or an oat milk or, you know, I suppose a cow milk, is you're not getting the same preservative uh, process that you would if you were buying it from the store. And so you have to understand that that milk will go bad. So my oat milk generally has like a three to five day window where it tastes like really good oat milk. And after that, it starts to, to change. The <laughs> chemicals start to change and, and it looks different. You know, if I put it in a glass jar, like it'll settle and you'll have like a thick layer and a watery layer and gotta mix that up. So you gotta, you gotta be willing to, to go through that process if you want to make it at home try
1: adding lecithin lecithin yeah you can get soy lecithin or sunflower lecithin and it's a it's an emulsifier it's a binding agent so it binds polar and mo- nonpolar. it makes oil and water mix basically so if you're getting that separation try lecithin blending it in there and it might keep it from separating
0: i'm afraid of any ingredient that i don't think i can spell
1: well that's fair it comes from sunflowers so that's that's nice and it's it's sold as a supplement um it's actually supposed to be quite good for you
0: Oh I'm not concerned about uh it's you know whether it's healthy or not I'm just afraid of things that I can't spell for whatever reason
1: Well you eat a lot of lecithin I'm just warning you but there's there's a lot of it in your life I promise
0: I feel better educated about milk Chris thank you for being here on uh, this episode of Coffee Smarter I think we are only doing one more episode this year. Maybe something special later on in the season, but oh, you got other
1: experts. I know you've moved on. You know you broke
0: <laughs> you broke through the glass ceiling of coffee experts on this show because before you, there were no coffee experts on the show, and now other experts want to share their expertise, and we want to. You know, it's not that we think they're they're more of an expert than you, in all cases. <laughs> <laughs> but we want to get some other perspectives. So we are excited. We do have uh, Siri is back from Lofty Coffee. She's great. She's great. Jay Ruski from Fringe Coffee has a different perspective. And oh, we're going to awesome. talk a little bit specifically about climate change later this year. And so there's a, there's a lot going on this season. So we're excited. But you will always be the first and always be our go-to, Chris. <laughs> I promise you that. But only because you work for free.
1: <laughs> I, I, you know, I do. I all I want to see is that beautiful face of yours and hear that sweet. sweet We're gonna voice. have to edit that out.
0: <laughs> we'll see you again soon, Chris.
1: Everybody, <laughs> thank you.
0: Hey, Chris, how are you today?
2: Pretty good so far, yeah, just getting getting her started for the most part, but yeah, everything's pretty solid.
0: Cool. I had a question for you based on one of our recent conversations about milk and latte art tasting.
2: Sure. Well, I'm always happy to answer questions about milk and latte art tasting.
0: Cool. In our Coffee Smarter episode about milk, you mentioned that they determined that latte art makes coffees taste worse which was sad to hear. Uh, But they discovered that by setting up a blind kind of tasting where one cup had latte art left in it after it was prepared and one had latte art that was all stirred up so everything was mixed together and then tasted. My my question is, wouldn't an accomplished or kind of even a regular everyday cappuccino drinker be able to tell which was which based on the texture of the drink? Kind of therefore impacting the results of the blind taste test?
2: Um, Honestly, I don't think they would really be able to detect the difference in the texture of the drink. Um, A lot of what we do when we're pouring latte art is continuing to agitate the milk before we pour it in to keep an integrated texture between the foam and the liquid milk. And so, adding some more agitation by stirring the, the latte shouldn't actually take away from or change the texture of the surface really detectably. I think that uh, that's, that's how I would imagine. But even if someone were to determine the difference, I would imagine that they would more likely, therefore, pick the other one. So if it does bias a blind decision in any direction, I think it would bias it in the direction of choosing the Logite Art one, which clearly didn't get chosen.
0: Okay. Well, that was my question, Chris. I really appreciate your time.
2: Oh, of course. I hope that was helpful, and uh, always love chatting with you about coffee anytime.
0: To recap, I was going to moo here, but I think we've gone past the point where that joke is funny. It may not have ever been funny. I'll just say that your coffee experience can be as simple or complex as you decide to make it. If you like milk in your coffee or you prefer it black, that's up to you. In season one, Chris gave us some advice on the show, which was drink what you like and don't be afraid to try something new. That's it for today. We've got some awesome interviews coming up that I'm really proud of with visitor coffee roasters, nostalgia coffee, and origin roasters that cover a lot of ground. I hope you come back to listen to those. I'm heading out on a mini coffee road trip tomorrow to check out some of the roast industry partners. If you see a guy with a salt-and-pepper beard poking out from his mask, dropping bright blue stickers off at Moster Coffee or Café La Terre or Leap Coffee or Even Coffee Cycle, give me a shout. Also, head to RoastWestCoast.com to find links to the rest of the show's supporters, Marea Coffee, Zoom Bar Coffee & Tea, Steady State Roasting, Cape Horn Coffee Importers, First Light Whiskey, and Camp Coffee Company. If you want these shows sent right to your email, along with articles about coffee, photos, videos, and vocabulary, Be sure to sign up for the newsletter or even a subscription at roastwestcoast.com. This show is always free wherever you listen, but the subscriptions really support the creation of the show, be it a $5 one-time tip or a monthly one that helps us keep growing and improving this show. I'll leave you with a quote from Henry Rollins, musician, poet, and actor who said, What goes best with a cup of coffee? Another cup. This episode of the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast is, was, has been written, produced, and recorded by me, Ryan Wolt. I hope this show has found you happy, healthy, and with at least enough sanity to make it through the day. And please, always tip your baristas and be sure to drink good coffee.